Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Doug and Shahan, after Georgia wins the national title, Shahan, both you and I are wearing our glasses, which means early morning. Got I got about four hours sleep after attending that game in Indianapolis on Monday night. But didn't Stetson Bennett make it all worth it, Shahan? Disney Plus is counting its money right now. He's a guy I ended up writing about. Obviously, the Georgia defense carried the load for the Georgia team this year and did a lot of work. Got more pressure on Bryce Young on Monday night. But I tweeted that Stetson Bennett probably should be benched <laughs> at some point in that game. I, a lot of people in my timeline were tweeting things like that. And here he is. He makes the throw that sort of pulls Georgia back from the brink and a former walk-on quarterback has won the national title. What are we supposed to think of that? <laughs> I mean, Stetson Bennett's life just changed uh, a whole lot. I mean, Herschel Walker is one of the greatest running backs of all time, and, like, they're maybe trying to make him senator. Like, what do they do with Stetson Bennett, right? Like, do they just I, – I think that maybe they just, like, literally freeze him and put him in the middle of, of campus for, like, the next thousand years. Like, I, I just don't – I mean, that that is – that guy is going to be the most legendary player in Georgia history. Like that, that guy is going to be remembered forever. But, uh, you know, I think, I think the big thing, right. I certainly questioned Stetson Bennett. You certainly questioned Stetson Bennett. I, I think for him to respond the way that he did in those last couple minutes, right. After he has that, what seems like the game changing fumble that's going to, you know, that's going to give Alabama its next national championship for him to respond by completing his last four passes uh, with two touchdown passes, including that 40 hard bomb. I, I mean, that was crazy. I, I did not expect that from, from Stetson Bennett. I, I mean, I think that that's, what you need from your quarterback in the national title game. I mean, you know, down the stretch, uh, you know, the one of the guys who's been compared to most is Jake Coker, the the Alabama quarterback back in 2015, I think it is. And he had so many Jake Coker moments in this game, right? Where he just steps up, makes a play at the right time. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to name the, the university after him. Like, I, I don't know what more they can do to, <laughs> to show how much they love this guy. He was saying after Georgia won that following his fumble, he was thinking, I wasn't going to be the reason we lost this game, which I said is not much of a movie tagline, but I think is appropriate. I honestly, so I was watching through my binoculars in Lucas Oil Stadium, the JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett coaches interactions on the sideline the whole game. And, you know, I've been watching college football for a while, mostly Ohio State, but I feel like a lot of the time, the quarterback, especially when his position coach and our play caller isn't on the sideline with him, is up in the booth column plays as it is with Georgia, with Todd Munkin, is kind of left alone on the sideline that when you come off the field, there might be a little discussion. You might get on the phone real quick and talk to somebody, but then you're kind of left by yourself. 
they were in constant conversation. JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett and a couple of the other Georgia staffers, and then Kirby Smart would come over every now and then and and offer something. Maybe that's how they've done it all year. But they were like working it out, man. And I looked Jalen Hurts three years ago when Nick Saban three years ago? Yeah, four years ago, when Nick Saban benched Jalen Hurts for Tua Tonga Vailoa, right, at halftime. Yeah, four years ago, 20, 2017 season. Of that national title game against Georgia. In the first half, Alabama had five drives. They had a missed field goal and four punts. Three of the four punts were three and outs. Georgia last night had five drives. They had two field goals. They made them. And three punts, all of them three and outs. So basically, Stetson Bennett was a drive ahead of Jalen Hurts from four years ago. And I know we're sort of joking about it. I legitimately thought it was not unreasonable that he might be benched coming out of halftime, that Georgia was losing. It was close, but they were losing. It felt like they could use a little boost. Um, Again, Daniels was like kind of right there the whole time. My favorite musician of all time is the bass guitarist for R.E.M. And R.E.M. is from Georgia. So he is a big sports fan. He is a big Georgia fan. I follow him on Twitter. He was suggesting that Stetson Bennett should be benched. I was like, my worlds are colliding here. Did you legitimately think it? Like there was the Twitter world, but I, from a football standpoint, thought, especially again, they came out, I think, in the in the start of the third quarter and weren't great. And then especially after the fumble, I legitimately thought, fumble was late, maybe give somebody else a series just to see what happens, even to let Stetson Bennett clear his head. Did you legitimately think that at some point? I mean, so the, the distinction that I'd make between this game and the Alabama one is that, you know, in the case of Jalen Hurts versus Tua, you're talking about an incumbent who had played all year and then like a young guy who everybody's really excited about, but you kind of are, are sticking to protocol in some ways, sticking with the starter. Well, with this one, it's kind of the opposite, right? I mean, JT Daniels was the opening day starter and Stetson Bennett came in and played really well. And, uh, and Kirby Smart decided that we need to ride with this guy who's playing well for us, you know? So I, I do think that there was that distinction. And at this point, and the season's over and JT Daniels is probably going to transfer and we're never going to see him play at Georgia anyway. I don't know whether JT Daniels was ready for this moment in terms of was he prepared enough by the coaching staff I don't know whether Brock Vandergriff was prepared enough I don't know if Carson Beck was prepared enough now I think some of that is an indictment on the coaching staff that we don't know the answer to those questions that that you have 14 stars worth of quarterbacks who aren't able to contribute to the game in any way but I I mean I do think that even though Stetson Bennett was playing poorly and even though a lot of people were calling for him to be benched I don't know. I, I don't feel confident that the guys that they had behind him were definitely going to be better. And so I think that if you're in that kind of position, I would have understood uh, considering benching Stetson Bennett. But I certainly wasn't calling for it, even though he was struggling so much in the first half. I think we learned – well, I don't know if we learned some lessons. Maybe reinforce some lessons here. And I do want to talk about the defenses for both teams. But – Stetson Bennett had the 52-yard bomb to George Pickens early on, then the 40-yard touchdown pass to A.D. Mitchell that changes the game late. Unbelievable catch, by the way, by A.D. Mitchell. Kyrie Jackson is all over him. It is great coverage, and it is absolutely top-shelf wide receiver play. But Stetson 
put the ball, dropped it from the roof, put it right where it needed to be put, and Georgia takes advantage. You have against defenses like this that one through 11 shed blocks, run to the ball, get pressure, get after it. Like you just have to be explosive. And we saw Bama do that in the SEC championship game against Georgia with Jamison Williams. And here Stetson Bennett throws for 226, 17 of, or 224, 17 of 26 for 224 yards. He gets 92 of those yards on two throws. He averages about five and a half yards per attempt on every other throw all night. But the Pickens deep ball set up a score. The A.D. Mitchell touchdown was a score. You have to be explosive against defenses like this, Shahan, because to try to grind it out for 60 minutes, running the ball and throwing over the middle of the field, you might get a little bit, but it is going to wear everybody down. And then once Jamison Williams went out, we'll talk about that more, Turned out that Georgia was the team that was able to sort of make the explosive play in the end. Well, and the funny thing about it is that it's kind of the opposite of the SEC championship game in a lot of ways, right? Where this is like a pretty close game most of the way, but Alabama just like takes control for a quarter, right? Like they scored 31 uh, sort of uh, points over a 16 point period. And this was kind of the opposite, right? Where, where Georgia was the team that was able to make explosive plays. They had a 67 yard run. They had a 50 plus yard catch, uh, like you mentioned by George Pickens. And then they have, uh, of course, the 40 yard touchdown pass by Stetson Bennett, like you mentioned. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. The game scripts flipped and. Certainly you can't talk about this game and the lack of explosiveness by Alabama without talking about Jamison Williams going down, of course. Right. No, so, yeah, the James Cook run obviously uh, needed to be mentioned um, by you as well. That Again, that's just a game-changing play. It's a great cut by Cook, and he's out the door. And there just there wasn't a ton that that Georgia did otherwise with sort of like normal play-to-play offense right that just that just wasn't kind of how it worked uh Brock Bowers the great tight end four catches for 36 yards if Jamison Williams stays healthy in that game he goes out early in the second quarter if he plays does Bama win I think that it changes the game a lot uh certainly I think down the stretch Georgia took control of the game, right? I mean, and I think that that's a credit to them. And I think that probably would have happened no matter who was in the lineup. But I think that you saw in those last two drives, especially for Alabama, just how frustrating it is to not have a guy who you can trust deep, right? I mean, it completely changed the way that they played offense. And the other thing too, is that, you know, I I saw some people complain about Bryce Young not playing his best game after the game. I mean, he threw the ball 57 times. Uh, I completed 36 of those passes. And out of those 21 incompletions, I mean, like, 15 of them nearly hit a guy in the hands. Like, their receivers did, played one of their worst games, obviously without uh, without the two-star receivers uh, in the lineup. But, I mean, once those guys went out, the freshmen played like freshmen. I, I mean, Aggie Hall had a really nice uh, catch early in the game, but... It, I mean, he just, he just looked like a freshman, right? I mean, that was the thing with all these guys. They looked like freshmen. Ja'Cory Brooks looked like a freshman in this game. Holden looked like a freshman in this game. And so I, I do think that losing Jameson Williams was a huge factor because, I mean, you even see on the catch that he goes out on, right? I mean, it's a 40 yard catch or whatever it is. 
I mean, just to, to be able to challenge the defense in that kind of way changes the way that Georgia has to defend you. And I think you saw on that last drive that everything was under for Alabama. Everything was right over the middle. Everything was not even past the sticks. I, I mean, that's crazy. This is Bryce Young we're talking about. And so I do think in a lot of ways, Jamison Williams' injury was a defining moment of the game. All right, we'll take a quick break here on the College Football Survivor Show. Again, Georgia. First national championship in 42 years, Duggan Shahan, back after this. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan, so early on, I did have my story started, and it had a Nick Saban photo, and it had a Nick Saban headline. It was going to be all about how the things we talked about on this podcast, that it's not really the SEC, it's Nick Saban. And... I had, when we did our picks, I had picked Georgia, but I was then telling people like, this is going to be the story of me talking about the time I picked a former walk-on quarterback over the greatest coach in college football history and what an idiot I am. And here we are. Eight college football playoffs in the books. Bama has three titles. Bama missed it one year in 2019. Uh, the Joe Burrow LSU year. That means four teams have beaten Nick Saban and Alabama in the playoff, three of them in the championship game. And the quarterbacks to have beaten Nick Saban and Alabama in the college football playoff are Cardale Jones, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, and Stetson Bennett. Obviously in the middle there, you have two elite Clemson quarterbacks who went on to the NFL as very high picks. And on the bookends, You have surprising backups who managed to sort of steer very talented teams past Alabama. They are very different stories, but, uh, you know, it's a little similar, Cardell Jones and Stetson Bennett. I said Cardell Jones in 2014 was sort sort of burst upon the scene because of JT Barrett's injury in the Michigan game, and he just showed up for the playoff and went crazy where Stetson Bennett's been here and just like refused to leave. Like he's a season long story, but he won't go anywhere. What does it tell us? Does it tell us anything when you sort of have these surprising quarterbacks find a way? And again, certainly not by themselves to beat dominant Bama and Nick Saban. I think that it proves that if you have a quarterback named JT, you should bench him against Bama because oh. clearly, uh, <laughs> clearly the next guy. Man, why didn't I? I'm going to go back and edit that into my story. <laughs> I didn't even draw that connection. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, watch out, JT quarterbacks against Saban. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I do think I, I don't want to be dismissive, right? But I do think that some of it is just those were also the worst Bama teams, right? Like 2014 and 2021 are the worst Bama teams to make the college football playoff. Uh, that's not a shot. I mean, the worst Bama team is better than basically everybody else's best team in the history of their program. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that it is to some extent catching them at the right time. Right. And, uh, and so I, I would probably hesitate a little bit to, to draw too much from it. And also you mentioned, they both won their games in very different ways, right? Cardell Jones was launching rockets down the field over and over again, uh, whereas, you know, Stetson Bennett was more of the whole game, really a game manager, ex- except for sort of those one or two big passes. So I, I would hesitate to to say that there's 
something replicable here by any means or that there's like, uh, you know, I, I think that there's certainly comparison between the two because of the situations they were thrust into. And, and I think the other thing about the situations that they were thrust into is that both of them were kind of uh, put in a position where they could just play their game and let the rest of the team do their thing, right? I mean, Ohio State's running backs by the end of the year, Ezekiel Elliott was playing unbelievable football. Ohio State's defense playing so much better by the end of the year. And, you know, with Georgia, of course, their defense has been playing amazing all year long. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think that I think that the big thing is, right, it's just catching them at the right time. It's it's just being a complete team. It's being able to beat them in different ways or at least being able to challenge them in different ways. And I think uh, ultimately there are only a handful of teams in college football, even in Alabama's down years, that are probably able to do that. And uh, so if you are game planning to beat Bama, I, I'd advise you to to have a good quarterback. So this clearly was a defensive game, at least for the first half and early into the second half. The Jordan Davis play early, even though it was not a fumble on Bryce Young, it looked like it might be a fumble and a fumble return for a touchdown by Georgia and a huge start to that game. But Jordan Davis, the great Georgia defensive tackle, I, they did it a lot last night. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they've done it at times during the course of the year, too. They did it like they shifted right before the snap and sort of changed what the Alabama offensive line was having to do. Jordan Davis wound up single teamed against the Alabama center. I mean, he's literally like 110, 15 pounds heavier than the Alabama center and just threw him to the side and got to Bryce Young. And it was a sack, even though it didn't was was then ruled an incomplete. I guess it was ruled an incomplete pass. So it wasn't even a sack, but it was an indication. I thought Shahan. And after not sacking Bryce Young at all in the SEC championship game, Georgia gets three sacks in this game. They were just bothering him more, but I thought they seemed to have a good plan up front. And Jordan Davis in the lead up to this game was saying like, "Oh, I don't feel like maybe I wasn't in my best shape the last time we played Alabama," and I thought. Those Jalen Carter then blocked a field goal, but I thought those three big guys in the middle up front affected things. And then you let everybody behind him run and chase, and they were just much more effective at it. But that was more of the Georgia defense being the Georgia defense than what we saw last time out against Bama. Yeah, the funny thing was I, I said heading into this game that my player to watch was Trayvon Walker because I felt like they needed to get some pressure with four. And the funny thing about it is that that didn't really happen. You know, he he did not have an especially good game, but they ended up getting a lot of pressure from inside. Uh, and they did that with Jalen Carter. They did that for a couple of plays with Jordan Davis, who really hasn't been a pass rusher at all uh, this season, but was able to get a few uh, free shots in on Bryce Young. They did it with Nolan Smith coming in from linebacker. So I, I think that they did a really good job of, they kept everything up the middle for the most part, but they did it in different ways. You know, I think that uh, they they sort of did it in a way where they're dropping somebody else back into coverage to keep up the the sort of uh, shell that they've created to stop the passing game. So I think that they did a really good job of managing being able to both send blitzers, send rushers from different angles, but also still keeping guys in coverage in a way that you're still you know, again, you're, you're still only doing it with four players, right? Four or five players getting after the quarterback, but they managed to create some pressure opportunities regardless. This took me back a little bit when Ohio State made back-to-back national championship games in 2006 and 2007 and faced the SEC in both of them, first Florida, then LSU. One of the big positions where 
it looked like the SEC was just on another level than everybody else in college football was defensive tackle. Back then, I remember writing a lot and thinking a lot about Glenn Dorsey at LSU and just being a huge yet athletic interior defensive line guy that just changed everything and caved in pockets. Ricky Jean Francois, also a name that will cause flashbacks for Ohio State fans. It felt a lot like that again on Monday night, Shahan. We just talked about the Georgia guys. Bama's got a couple guys like that. In a world where it, the last couple of years it was like, got to have a quarterback, got to have a quarterback, got to have a quarterback. You still have to have a quarterback, right? But it felt like, again, I, I think a lot – some people watching that game were like, snooze fest. All field goals as nobody has scored a touchdown. And then, you know, some of the hardcore football people were like, this is awesome. I could watch this all day. These are two great defenses. And they are two great defenses. But they weren't, you know, you we've seen defenses where like, oh, they've got like a couple couple All-Americans. This is like one through 18, right, with, with defenses like this where they can just run guys on the field who can do it all and are big and are fast and are smart and are athletic. And it felt like another separator. Maybe it's not new. Maybe it's just these were two defense first teams, and that's how Georgia and Bama have kind of done it. It's two defensive head coaches. But I watched that and thought, well, there's going to be a lot of teams that can't match that. You know, I don't I don't know exactly how Ohio State gets a one through 11 on a defense like that. I don't exactly know how USC does that. I don't exactly. I mean, Clemson's done it to a large degree in the past, but I don't know. Without Brent Venables, I'm not sure how they do it. And Brent Venables going to Oklahoma is a great defensive coach. I don't know if he's going to recruit enough guys defensively for Oklahoma to do, to do that. Is that has that always been there, or were these two defenses in particular Monday Night Shahan reminding us of where maybe the SEC's greatest edge really lies? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think that that's just such an advantage, and I mean, there's. A lot of reasons that that's the case. I mean, you can look at demographics, you can look at just where these kind of kids come from, right? And I, I think that it's so rare to have, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about Jordan Davis because he's huge and because he's like, you know, this amazing gap filler. But to me, it's more Jalen Carter. It's more Devontae Wyatt, the guys who are huge, but also just move at such a high level. You know, they move like they're hundred pounds lighter. And, and that's really where I think some of these teams in the SEC, specifically Alabama and Georgia, uh, you know, just go crazy, right? Is when you have these guys who have so much activity that cause so much issue, uh, that, you know, that you can shift them over and they're just going to demolish somebody one-on-one, -on -one, uh, after a shift, right? Like that's a huge deal. And we saw with Alabama because Alabama, their offensive line was not, uh, built to keep up with that either, right? I mean, they got, whipped for most of the day by this Georgia defensive line. Uh, you, you know, I think that we saw, you know, in that first game even, that Alabama really tried to take the game outside because that was an advantage for them. That's a place where they, uh, especially when they had their receivers in the lineup, that's where they could whip. And I think that, I think that what we saw from Alabama against this Georgia front, and even at times for Georgia against this Alabama front before uh, Federian Mathis went out, uh, you know, I think that we saw a lot of, you know, basically what everybody else has to do, right? Where they have to go outside because they can't compete inside. So yes, I do think that having that kind of defensive interior is a huge advantage that most teams just can't do anything with. But um, but no, I, I don't necessarily know if it's a new thing. This has kind of been how Georgia's made its hay over the last five years. Does this change anything in the SEC long-term? You know, I, I always like it. I'm at a hotel. I'm outside the gouge zone. I know I, I I always know where the gouge zone is. 
I mean, everybody, you could tell, you put it in your little hotel search and it's like, okay, this hotel is uh, 0.4 miles from the stadium. It's $900. Okay, I'm not staying there. All right, this hotel is 1.6 miles from the stadium. It's $700 and I'm not staying there. I'm in Bloomington. I drove like 45 miles after the game last night to get outside the gouge zone. Something, a price that started with a one. But I always like listening to fans the morning after a game like this. So there are some Georgia fans who also uh, went outside the gouge zone with me. One of them, two of them, they, their pickup, their truck broke down in Nashville on the way here. And they got a rental car and drove here. And they're supposed to get the, the rental car back by noon today, but they're not going to. But they were like, listen, man, our team won the national title. We don't care. So the rental car company can charge us whatever we want. But I was listening to a Georgia conversation this morning, and you could hear it from the players a little bit last night. Just the, you know, the fan I was listening over, eavesdropping on, said, you know, said monkey off their back four different times about all the things about this. That if Kirby Smart had stuck with Stetson Bennett and had, had gone south, people probably would have questioned that for a long time. That Kirby Smart had never beaten Nick Saban and that Georgia hadn't beaten Alabama in so long. And clearly Alabama had been the talk, top dog in that conference. And then just a little more than a month ago, Alabama had done it. Does this shift anything? Is this a one-timer? Again, we said this is not the best of the best from Alabama. Bryce Young and Will Anderson are both going to be back and mad. The scariest thing, don't mad Bama. Angry Bama. Going into the 2020 season after they missed the playoff, I was like, oh, my God, angry Bama. Watch out. I don't know how angry they'll be because I think they had a, a pretty good year considering some of, a few of their flaws. But does does Georgia ascend without – a monkey on their back weighing them down. I don't think that this changes anything so much, but I do think that it legitimizes what had already happened, if that makes sense. I mean, I, I think that this shift to Georgia has happened over the past four or five years, and they haven't won a championship. They haven't gotten to that top stage until this moment. But I do think that they've been trending in that direction for a while. And I, I do think that when you look at recruits, when you look at even coaches around the sport, a lot of them thought, you know, this is just inevitable. This is going to happen at some point. Eventually, it's going to happen. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't necessarily see it as a huge shift. I mean, it's not like, I, I want to be clear, right? Georgia is not Alabama still. Alabama is still that program, uh, you know, but I think that Georgia legitimizes that they sort of, you know, when we talk about our, our uh, you know, four teams that took up 20 of the 28 spots heading into the season, well, I think that Georgia at least belongs adjacent to that conversation now, right? They're, they're the first one uh, of not those teams other than LSU to to win the national championship. So I think that they belong at least adjacent to this, having now made uh, m- multiple college football playoffs and, of course, winning one. So from that perspective, it changes things. But I think that if Georgia won this game versus if they lost this game, I don't think that it changes where they sit in the SEC all that much. I don't think that it changes, uh, you know, what this is as a program nationally all that much. I, I think that people knew that this was possible, that they've done a lot of things the right way, that they had championship level teams before. Certainly getting there, I think, legitimizes it. But I don't think as a program it changes things all that much for them. The one thing that I do think it does, I'm going to go back to our preseason, uh, our preseason coaching rankings again. Mm. I think I think that the biggest beneficiary of this game, who's not Stetson Bennett, who's going to be the most incredible insurance salesman in the history of the state of Georgia. Uh, I think that the other biggest beneficiary of this game is going to be Kirby Smart, because for years now, 
he's put together teams that were championship caliber. I mean, that 2017 team should have won the national championship, right? It's crazy that they didn't. Yeah. And how different is the conversation about Kirby Smart if he wins that game, right? This wonderkind who in his second season leads Georgia to a national championship for the first time since 1980. But instead, Tua comes into the game, throws a legendary pass, Devontae Smith. You know, I mean, you're, you're literally talking about a Heisman finalist and a Heisman winner, right? <laughs> Coming off the bench and winning that game. And suddenly Kirby Smart's not a good coach, right? I mean, when we, when we did our ranking at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, you had him last on your list out of the eight coaches that we were ranking. Stop remembering. <laughs> Do you forget anything? Are you one of these super wonderkin people with great memory? You just, oh, you just remember my mistakes. That's even worse. <laughs> your wife is like, Shahan, it's our anniversary. You're like, what? I was thinking about all the things Doug has said wrong over the last five months. I I love remembering when I'm right. I, <laughs> I never remember when I'm wrong. But you know, I I had uh, I had Kirby Smart more middle of the pack, right? It's because you know, to me, and, and not to not to take this conversation somewhere else. You know, we we had Ryan Day as part of our discussion because Ryan Day, you know, in his first couple of years, took uh, Ohio State to the national championship game. And for me, I, I wanted to see it sustained, right? Because that, if we had had this conversation about Kirby Smart back in 2018, we'd be like, oh my gosh, like Kirby Smart, like he's probably third. He's probably just behind uh, Saban and Dabo, right? And so for me, I wanted to take a little bit of a more even-handed approach with Kirby because he's created teams that are championship caliber. He's created a mountain of NFL players. He's the only team that's recruited at the level of Alabama consistently. And that includes Ohio State and Texas A&M and Oklahoma and everybody else, right? So I, I think that he deserved more credit heading into this game, but I think now he might finally get some of that credit. And I mean, sitting here today, uh, a lot can change and, and the, the moment is fresh. But right now, I mean, it's hard to not have him in your top five uh, when you're talking about uh, active head coaches. And you think about the way Saban won his first titles at Alabama without great quarterback play. He wanted it looking exactly, you said, kind of a Jake Coker comparison to A.J. McCarron, more kind of comparison for what Stetson Bennett in Georgia with his great defense was this year. That's early Saban. But then Saban transitioned. And he stopped. He 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 wasn't winning only with defense. He decided, well, I don't know. Okay, we'll run a little up tempo, and we'll get five star quarterbacks, and we'll add that to the great defense, and then away you go. Is Caleb Williams going to Georgia? You think Caleb is? Is that where he's going to wind up? Uh, it sure seems like it's going to be USC. I mean, you see Jackson Dart, the the USC. Well, okay, you see their starter Keaton Slovis enter the transfer portal. I believe he ended up at Pitt. Jackson Dart enters the transfer portal right after Graham Harrell is announced at West Virginia. So I don't know. There, there might be some smoke there. Uh, but no, I mean, in a lot of ways, that seems to have cleared the way for Caleb Williams to come in at USC. So I'd assume that that's where he goes. But, you know, at the same time, uh, I mean, Georgia's the national champion, right? I mean, if you get an offer from the national champion, if, if Kirby Smart's able to come into your, your, you know, parents' living room and drop a national championship ring on the table, you have to listen, right? You at least have to listen. So, but as you said, they have 14 stars worth of backup quarterbacks on this roster already. They already got a guy like Justin Fields to go to Athens, and then he left after a year. If Kirby Smart starts adding, because JT Daniels, I mean, I know we know there's a oh, five star backup for this game, JT Daniels. He's a transfer. They didn't get him as a recruit, but they are starting to recruit quarterbacks like that. I mean, that's if you add that. Because, you know, they're going to lose guys off this defense, but they're going to reload to some degree. This might be a peak for a Georgia defense, but it's it's top notch. Maybe maybe this is 
some kind of beginning for Kirby Smart, but they've been very close that he is a defense first coach. But if you start adding one of the best quarterbacks in the country to these top three Georgia recruiting classes every year, they're going to come back and be in this game again and on some level be even more dangerous because again, they were, they were really three offensive plays when it mattered. They got that late drive to sort of put it away before the pick six, but when it really mattered, it was the Pickens bomb, the James Cook run and the AD Mitchell touchdown catch. And that was kind of it for their offense. If you add a Bryce Young type quarterback on top of that, I don't know what George is going to do. Yeah. And I will say, right? Like the funny thing about this team and about Georgia winning the national championship is that I feel like Georgia managed to do it without Kirby Smart learning some of the lessons that I feel like he needed to learn. Right. I mean, they have not been good enough on offense. I mean, this is the first team. When's the last team that won a national championship like this? Right. I mean, are we talking? 2012 Alabama? Are, are we talking that level? Or I mean, certainly the 2015 Alabama thing with Jake Coker, like we mentioned, like that, it's been a while. Every other program in college football, to some extent, has realized, man, we need to modernize. We need to modernize. We need to get more out of our quarterbacks. We have to be able to stretch the field. And they did that to some extent just by recruiting George Pickens, who's incredible, and recruiting Brock Bowers, who's incredible. But I mean, that's the funny thing about it, right? Does this convince Kirby Smart to keep developing, to keep growing, to keep trying to get more about out of his quarterbacks? Or does this make him double down on the idea that he doesn't need to? Does it double down on the idea that if we just sit on teams and we're bigger than them, then they can't beat us? I mean, I, I will say right again, I feel like Kirby Smart's not as a coach right now celebrating the moment because he should enjoy every second of this moment. He's gotten a lot of crap that I don't think he deserved over the years, but I do feel like, I do feel like to some extent, if you're Kirby Smart, you also have to look at this and be like, this is the worst Bama team in a while. And we needed a lot to happen. You know, we, we made our margins very thin when we had one of our best programs. Or really, I, I think that you can make the argument the best, uh, the best overall season and the best overall team in Georgia history. So like to be in a position where against Bama's worst team in seven years that you're fighting down the stretch, I think that if you're Georgia, you need to know that there's more you can get out of certain position groups. You can get more out of quarterback. You can get more out of receiver. You can get more. And I, I think that that's going to be a key to whether Georgia, uh, you know, whether this is somewhat of a one-off or whether this is the start of the next great run in college football is going to be whether they can continue to get more. And you feel like they hired the right guy in Todd Monken to do that, but it hasn't happened as yet. So at some point it needs to happen. And I do think on some levels, maybe many levels, an ascending Georgia would almost be more problematic for the rest of college football than Bama. Because as we discussed on the podcast last week, Bama's different because Saban's the best. And I don't think this is going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, Nick Saban, he's the greatest college football coach ever. But no, now look, Kirby Smart is. Kirby Smart's just good, just like a lot of guys are good, right? Just like Lincoln Riley is good and Dabo Sweeney is good and Jimbo Fisher is good, right? L lots of guys are good, very good, but Saban's next level. So the idea of, well, Saban, Saban, how long is he going to do it? Probably a long time, but there's something extra to that. Kirby Smart is just normal good and getting it together. And if you're 
adding that to Saban while Saban is still at his peak. And now if Kirby Smart is going to consistently be this, that's an issue. And then, you know, we sort of talked about before, it's like, well, take Bama out. Now compare Georgia to the other best teams in other conferences. And it kind of gets, all right, well, now you can actually compare it. If Kirby, because Saban's best thing is like Saban learns while he wins. A lot of people need a loss to learn. Like, you know, and I sort Saban also loses, but he's adapted while being at the top of his game. If Kirby Smart can do that and not maybe do what you're suggesting could happen, which is like double down on, ah, I don't need a quarterback. I got all these defensive guys, but instead lean into quarterback play and maintain the defense. Now what? Now you've got two of these teams in the SEC. And Kirby is really not going anywhere for a while. So I'm sure there are many teams who, you know, you're going to make yourself gray waiting for Nick Saban to get old. But I was looking when I thought Alabama was going to win last night. I was looking up a lot of John Wooden stuff. And again, I think John Wooden won 10 titles in his last 12 years, retired at age 64. Saban just turned 70. So I was starting to do math. I'm like, all right, well, Wooden, you know, won 10 of his last 12. This would be Saban's. Seventh at Alabama in 13 years. If he did this, if he did that, whatever. And then he lost. But now here's Kirby Smart. I almost, I almost think on some level, Bama being helping keep Georgia down was maybe almost good for the rest of college football, as scary as Saban is. But now, now you might have two of these programs. Well, well, here's what I'll ask. Okay. Heading into 2022. Is Georgia beating next year's Alabama team that brings back Bryce Young and Will Anderson and is going to be a whole lot older and have a whole offseason to develop their wide receivers and have a whole offseason to develop new offensive linemen and have an opportunity to go to the transfer portal? Like, like, would you expect that Alabama is not going to be the favorite next year? Because to me, you're right. This was, this was the year, right? This was the year where Alabama was, was weak. And I said at the beginning of the year, that for Georgia, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M, this is the year. If you're going to do it, this has to be the year because Alabama's replacing a whole lot on both sides of the ball. Clemson, of course, uh, we all know what they went through. Ohio State, you know, I, offensively, I, I thought that uh, having to replace Justin Fields and a whole lot of key guys would have mattered. Turns out that it was actually defensively where they they had some issues. But, like, you're in a position where these key teams are not championship caliber. And I thought that that opened the field in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I felt like this had to be the year that Georgia or Texas A&M or Oklahoma did it. And thankfully, Georgia did it, right? One of these teams did, in fact, get over the top. But the other thing that I'll say is that I never write the story of, uh, of you know, the next great dynasty until it happens because it just doesn't, right? No other team has done this. No other team in the history of the sport has done it like Nick Saban, right? I think that, I think that there's a lot of people waiting to see, you know, when Nick Saban retires, who's the next Nick Saban? And certainly Georgia's building themselves up in a way that if that were to happen, they'd have a great shot of being that team. But the reality is it probably won't be any of that, right? It probably won't be a next team that wins six titles in 10 years or whatever. You know, it's probably going to be that Georgia is maybe the best program in the sport, but Ohio State's can clearly compete with Georgia in a way that, you know, at times they haven't been able to with Alabama, you know, maybe Clemson, it kind of comes back at some level. I think that USC certainly have to be optimistic about maybe Miami now with Mario Cristobal. I think that the other side of this too, is that the recruiting competitiveness uh, in the South is going to get, I think even more interesting with Dabo still being there with uh, what 
Mac Brown is doing at North Carolina now with Mario Cristobal coming in. So I think that maybe in some ways that spreads the talent out even more in some ways. Uh, in addition to Oklahoma and Texas, I think going to the SEC, I, I think that they're going to be more active down there. So I don't think that there's an inevitability that there's a next Alabama because nobody's done this before. And so while yes, Georgia did get over the top. I mean, think of the, I, I mean, we, we saw LSU win the national title two years ago with maybe the best team in college football history. Two years later, right? And this is not going to happen to Kirby Smart for a myriad of reasons. Uh, but you know, two years later, you know, LSU is, is six and seven and they have a new head coach because things just can fall apart that quickly, right? That's not going to happen at Georgia because. Cause he's not Coach O. He's not Coach O. Cause he's not Coach O. Cause he's got his head screwed on straight. But at the, at the same time, you know, I, I don't think that there's a guarantee that having success in one period is a guarantee that you're going to maintain success over 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Now, I, I might be wrong. This might be the, the beginning of the Georgia dynasty. Who knows? But I do think that it's more likely from my perspective that this is something that elevates Georgia to the level of other champions. But I'm I'm certainly not confident, even with all the recruiting stuff, that it clearly puts Georgia, you know, at the top of this new phase of college football. All right, uh, last quick break, and we will be back to wrap this up. The end of this college football season next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Dr. Jihad back. It's been a fun ride since the season started. We're not going anywhere. We'll be doing off-season pods. We'll let you guys know what the plan is for that. You know, we'll take breaks here and there. We we have to give ourselves a little time off. But the, this, the plan is for this to be a year-round college football playoff show. So um, we will be back and talking about what's next. I, I really do think we're going to do some version of could your how many programs could win a national title with within five years with Nick Saban. Um, that'll be, I think, a good way to sort of look at the college landscape. But I do want to end it with the Georgia defense because this was a special collection of guys and, you know, even some different guys showed up last night. Um, I, I think, Shahan, this will be one of these groups where we look back on this in five years and there's, you know, whatever, 17 guys in the NFL off this Georgia defense, right? This is this is just a a pretty special collection of talent, especially in the front seven, but even the guys in the secondary played well against Alabama and made big plays last night. This is, as much as Georgia has been a defense first team, this is a, a version about a, about as good as it can be. Yeah, I mean, they, they are going to go on to have multiple players drafted in the first round of next year's NFL draft, uh, potentially more players, uh, you know, maybe deciding to jump to now that they've won the national championship. Uh, I think that it's a uh, Richard Johnson over at split zone duo who said, I think that we might look back at this Georgia team similarly on defense as we do to LSU in 2019's offense, right? Where we're just like, Holy crap. They had Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and like Jamar chase. Yeah. And Jamar chase. Uh, the best player maybe of the group, you know, so I, I think that maybe we're in a position where, uh, or, you know, we're looking back in a couple of years and we're like, holy crap, Jalen Carter was a backup on this team. Holy crap. You know, Nicobe Dean wasn't the Heisman uh, guy on this defense. You know, I think that we've both been clear that we think he should have been like, yeah, I, I think that 
with these starters, I mean, every one of them on defense is likely going to play in the NFL. Most of them, I think, are going to start. And there's a lot of rotation guys, especially in that front seven. Uh, Robert Beal, another guy, for example, uh, Jalen Carter. Like, it, it's just they're going to have so many guys in this front that play in the NFL. And yes, you know, part of it is when you recruit at the level that Georgia does, you're going to put guys into the NFL. But to have this collection of talents on this one defense is unbelievable. And, you know, credit to, to Kirby Smart and Dan Landing and that entire coaching staff for getting the most out of them. But man, it must be fun to have chess pieces like that. It, it must be fun to be able to kind of basically do whatever you want. The only team that's really been able to do that with any consistency is Alabama, right? I mean, Ohio State's been able to do it to some extent on offense, but like to be able to basically say, hey, how do we want to play football? We can beat teams any way that we want we get to choose how we beat them I, I mean it is it is crazy stuff it's special there is still i will still have a slight lingering question not that these weren't the two best teams but that in the end in the national title game bama was already down its second best receiver and then it lost its best receiver and just could not be dynamic could not be explosive the way it had been previously and georgia Again, with the big throws we talked about, but that wasn't really what they did. To get a Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day offense with a quarterback, with receivers against these defenses just would have been fun. And it just didn't work out that way. But I do think, again, the, a large part of that is because Georgia's lesser side of the ball stepped up in a way that the defenses for Oklahoma and Ohio State have not. You know, Ohio State's did not do that this year. Oklahoma's in the past when they've had great offenses. They have not been able to do that. And the Georgia offense was good enough. Was it great? No, but it was good enough. And when you have an absolutely dominating side of the ball, sometimes the other side only has to be good enough. But we've seen how hard it can be just to be that. That even when you are a great program, sometimes you're so out of balance you can't even get to good enough. So the Georgia offense was that, but we will end this season without Georgia, you know, seeing a Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, you know, kind of. I mean, they saw it with Bryce Young, but he's young and he didn't have all of his weapons. He didn't, or, you know, even this Georgia defense facing the Alabama offense from last year. Man, as much as we thought Alabama looked unbeatable last year, Man, these this Georgia defense would have given them a run for sure. Would have given them a run. So you play who you play, you beat who you beat, and Georgia in the end. We we will mention we both picked Georgia to beat Clemson in Week One, which at the time, not that it was a controversial pick, but it certainly was a coin flip. And then you look where we are. It's like oh yeah, but like that was a low scoring game. There was not much offense in that game, and it did set this entire college football season sort of on its path that one of the teams that had been kind of on the outside knocked off one of the teams that was on the inside. That was the inside team that really fell off, but a lot of other inside teams fell off. And then this adjacent, not outside, but not inside team, this adjacent team started to look like the best team in college football all year. And they were. And so I do think, you know, sometimes people we've, they've complained about this sport that it's boring. This was kind of different boring. It's like, oh, the, the team that we thought was the best team after week one turned out to be the best team. It was kind of an interesting road to get there. They are supremely talented, but we at least have had some variety of national champions. If others have pointed out, this is 
the fourth different champion in the last four years for college football. Three of them SEC teams, but at least it's not Bama, 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 Bama. So I think in the end, sort of a, a, a weird playoff game in that it was so defensive early on and then we had some big offensive plays late, but a pretty good game. I don't know, Shahan, I don't know if in the end if people were watching that game going like, oh, they're both from the same geographic area. Or they just go and like, wow, that was a great play. Oh, wow, I can't believe that happened. I thought it was good, interesting, fun football. And in the end, the best team won, which is, I guess, some kind of definition of a good football season. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, right? Because I, I would be curious for more casual fans, uh, you know, what their enjoyment level of the game was. Because I think that the fourth quarter, I think the finish was really exciting. But, you know, I think that somebody somebody made a comment after the first three quarters and they were like, this is a good tough football game and, you know, nobody's really making mistakes. And and I kind of disagreed with that. I mean, they shot themselves in the foot a lot. I mean, how many penalties did Georgia have in this game? It was, it was more than a dozen, right? Like, Georgia tried to lose this game in so many ways. You know, bad passes, uh, Stetson Bennett obviously looking so shaky early. Like, there were a lot of mistakes in this game. For Alabama, it was drops. So many freaking drops where a ball hits a receiver in the hands. And yes, it's because Georgia's defending it really well, but it's also because a receiver just doesn't make a play that he needs to make in the national championship game. So I, I do understand people who, you know, were a little uh, complaining a little bit about the, the excitement of the game. I think that the ending means that this will go down as a great national championship game. And I think that's deserved, but I will say, I mean, it, it was a little bland, right? For most of the game. It was, it was a lot of mistakes. It was great defense, but it was also some bad offense as well, uh, contributing to that. But you know, when I look back at the season, I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of fitting, right? The season starts with Georgia beating uh, number two, I think, right? Clemson was, uh, with a pick six and now ending the year with a pick six by Kelly Ringo. I mean, it, there's kind of a poetic justice to it, right? To kind of see it come full circle like that. And yeah, I, I mean, I know that it's going to feel in some ways like, oh, another SEC team. Oh, Alabama play for a national, another national championship. But like, whenever we put these stats together about, oh, the SEC, the SEC, the SEC, like, it's mostly Bama. It's mostly just Bama, right? I mean, yes, there's other teams that have been there. LSU is one of the few teams that's been able to be there. Uh, you know, Auburn won one in 2010. It's not like there haven't been other great SEC teams, but it's mostly just been Bama doing some stuff. Uh, and I, and this is, this is one of the things in general, right? I mean, the SEC is not one collective. It's a collection of 14 teams. And so I think that in some ways, you know, the way that they brand it does lose fact, uh, lose track in some ways of the fact that Georgia has not won, won one of these things since 1980, right? I mean, this is a big deal. If you said heading into the year that a team was going to win their first national championship in 40 years and show that they were the best team in the country to do it, I mean, that's, that's a great season. And certainly the path along the way, uh, you know, Georgia having to, to, you know, beat the team that demolished them in the SEC championship game. I, I, I think that Cincinnati and Michigan making the field that, that made for a great college football season, the first group of five team to ever get in. Michigan finally getting over the hump, beating Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma State getting over the hump and beating Oklahoma, you know, Baylor getting a stop at the six inch line against Oklahoma State. There were so many great moments of this season and 
the first three quarters of the national championship game didn't necessarily live up to it. But I think that the fourth quarter at least gave some solace to the idea that, you know, this was a really good uh, championship season. This was a really good season overall, I think, in 2021. And I think, uh, you know, while the, the game itself will probably only be remembered for the ending, I, I think this will be a season that's remembered for a long time. Brian Kelly getting $10 million a year. I mean, the kind of stuff that just warms your heart and makes you love college football. <laughs> Thanks, LSU. We also, and we, yeah, we'll, we'll round back into you thinking LSU is terrible. We will soon discuss the idea that also in Indianapolis, while the, you know, the same day the national title game was being played on Monday, the latest meetings about the college football playoff ended with everybody saying like, rah, 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 and not able to agree on anything and making it seem very likely that there will not be expansion until 2026, which is, uh, this sport in a lot of ways not able to get out of its own way. I think there might be reasonable points for, for the disagreement and for delaying it, but the rollout of this has been clunky as all get out. And it is a good 60 minutes, a good three hours, usually when you sit down to watch college football, but man, does most of the stuff around it make you want to pull your hair out? All right, we're not going anywhere. That's it for this podcast. We'll be back with another one on Wednesday. And then uh, don't leave us in the offseason. Thanks to everybody who's listened to the College Football Survivor Show through a name change, through a name change during the course of this season, uh, inaugural year of this podcast. Um, Shahan, when we when we first started off with Shahan, he was just a guy who covered football in Texas, and now he's taking over the world, um, covering every team in the country. So much like Kirby Smart, Shahan Jeharaja is ascending. And much like a much worse version of Nick Saban, I'm just trying to hold on. Well, well, I, I like to think that uh, even in victory, I can continue to adjust to this. So hopefully we'll see whether both me and Kirby can continue to grow. I did say one of the, you know, when Bryce Young talked about Nick Saban, it was the respect and the adjustments. And I have neither of those. So actually, Nick Saban's a really bad comparison for me. Uh, maybe Brian Kelly. Maybe <laughs> I'm just a chubby guy who does bad accents. That is who I am. I got to work on my Brian Kelly. I have to retire my Stetson Bennett. I have to retire my, my Coach O. I got to find other college football accents to do. All right. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. Thanks so much for listening. For Shahan Jeharaja of CBS Sports, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. <laughs> 